Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Growing up in a trailer in northern Michigan in the middle of the woods is not the most promising start. Lisa is a very smart girl, but had no money. She managed to go to college and law school and paid for it in student loans. A little risky, but it worked out. If you grew up in less than desirable circumstances, listen in. It's quite a journey. Uh, Lisa Burden is a founder of Lynchpin Legal. She is a lawyer that specializes in real estate and contracts for nonprofits and small businesses. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here because the purpose of the podcast is to help people become successful in their own way. And you came from very humble beginnings, and you've gotten where you are today just being smart, and you didn't navigate in the best way. You readily admit that. So Mm -hmm. let's hear about your story. Yeah, it's a story (laughs) of mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen, right? We're all human, Um, as long as you're learning from them. So you want me to kind of start with my childhood? Yeah, I'd love to hear where you grew up. Um, I think that's pretty interesting in itself. So I grew up in the middle of the woods in the tip of the mitt, uh, which is what we call the tops of the fingers. I literally show everybody that it's the middle finger. Uh, Tip of the middle finger, Sheboygan, uh, Michigan. Michigan, Michigan, not Sheboygan, the other one that's bigger in Wisconsin. And I grew up about 20 miles outside of town in the middle of the woods. So literally would have bobcat walking through the yard, turkeys and things like that. Uh, I used to joke that my dad moved there to destroy my social life in high school. And (laughs) you even mentioned you were in a trailer. Yes, two trailers smashed together, actually. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, yeah, I was trailer trash. Me and Eminem. Um, So (laughs) my parents had a trailer and bought property on land contract from a full farmer. And lovely, lovely couple. We used to go to their house to drop off payments. And um, then my grandparents died, and they also lived in a trailer. So my dad took that trailer, moved it over to his property, mashed the two together, and essentially, throughout my entire childhood, built an actual house around the two trailers. That's hilarious. If you don't mind sharing, what did your parents do for a living? Kind of a lot of various things, but my mother cleaned hotel rooms, did laundry, and um, managed the hotel for a couple who owned like three hotels, a restaurant, and a, a chocolate factory, cho- not factory, company <laughs> in Mackinac City, which was about 45 minutes away from where I grew up in the middle of the woods. So mom did that. And dad did some finished carpentry for a while. He did like lawn work and stuff for the same hotel group, just kind of whatever he needed to do to keep food on the table. So working people. And you said that you were on food stamps. Mm-hmm. I like what you share. I'm going to ask you to share how you felt about that. It was, it yeah, was embarrassing, you said a little bit. It was, it felt like intentionally the way things were done back then was to embarrass people who needed public assistance. Food stamps at the time, I know they're a card now, but at the time were giant pieces of thick paper that were, you know, $5 bills were purple. $1 bills were pink. Oh, wow. And they stuck together. So you'd have to like stand there at the cashier, like wetting your finger to try to get them apart. It was very obvious to anybody standing in the vicinity that you were paying with food stamps. It wasn't just like a credit card. 
And my mom would walk around with her little calculator and everything was the generic, you know, white with black lettering labels. Um, unless we got WIC because my sister's seven years younger than me. So I remember getting WIC when she was a baby, in which case you could get I Cheerios. What, I don't know what WIC is. Oh, WIC is women, infants and children. So poor women, in order to feed, they can get formula. So you could get like a case of 12 and but it was very specific. So if you remember the the formula shortage during COVID, yes, I it was because only that brand was allowed for WIC. So you can't get some other brand. You can only get eight cans of 12 ounce Infamil. You can get one box of Cheerios or King Vitamin. <laughs> Those were the only cereals you could get. Um, so it would be like eggs, dairy, you know, milk, formula for infants and some cereals and stuff like that. That was a giant blue, like almost like a receipt. And I used to cashier too in high school. So I <laughs> was on the other side of this. So it was like a receipt like this big that said exactly what you could get on it. And then you wow. would ring it up and it would have to match up or you it was not part it. of the program. Yeah. So when your mom used these food stamps, people reacted differently, which made you embarrassed. It wasn't like you knew to be embarrassed. It had to come from somewhere. Yeah. No, it was absolutely the way people looked at you. And um, as I shared with you, it was, kind of, it was during the 80s, right? And that was the whole there's welfare queens and all these people are getting food stamps and on welfare and driving Lincoln Continentals and wearing furs, which... Did not happen. That's but, not really the case. Uh, yeah, it? that yeah. is not the case. That was kind of a political football. So, yeah, people looked down on you. And then, when you know, in elementary school, I was on free lunch. And the problem with all of this is I think a lot of it has to do with people who are kind of in the same situation but don't want to feel bad themselves. So in order to make themselves feel good, they put other people down around them. You know, I remember in elementary school, I got the white hot lunch cards, which meant you were getting free lunch. Right. The green cards were for people who paid or were on reduced lunch or whatever. Oh. So you could tell by the color of which card you had, with you know, the paper punch that they stuck through, whether you were on free yeah. lunch or not. But, you know, as an adult looking back, I look at the poverty rates from my hometown and, you know, it's probably 60% of the people were on free lunch. But that's not how you feel when you're on it. You feel like you're the only one in the world and everybody else around you has money and you're the only one wearing hand-me-downs. You're the only one, you know. Yes. Um, so with hindsight, you can look at it and go, okay, pretty much everybody was poor and some of them were just putting on airs. But at the time, you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. And that's good to know because it kind of puts something in your mind about who you are and where you come from. Yeah. And interestingly... And we'll go to that later. But I mean, you're a lawyer and you own a law firm. But I want to point out to people how you grew up and the attitudes and maybe share as we go along what you were thinking and how you came mm -hmm. out of it. But you said you were a really good student. Great student. Mm -hmm. Very good at all of the stuff except for math. <laughs> and nerds get picked on anyway. Yes. So I'm, yeah. it goes with the I was a nerd. I was, uh, you know, I was a scum, whatever. Like there was always something to be called. Yes. Um, but I was also super smart. And my team in sixth grade won spelling bowling so much. We were the ones who always got to go to the pizza party with our sixth grade teacher. So. So there you go. So I can spell real good. Um, <laughs> but you know what? That's funny. But you know what? Nerds are more respected nowadays. But yes. back then they got picked. Not up. so much then. No, no. no. Um, very much about conformity then. Right. Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. need to look and be like Try everyone be cool. else. You need to wear the same brand jeans, whatever. Interestingly, though, as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking, <laughs> I think people go one of two ways. 
some people are like, well, then I have to put on all of these airs myself when I'm an adult to make up for that hurt. And then I took the other path, which is I don't really care like what kind of car I drive or like I don't need to keep up with the Joneses in any way, shape or form. Like I drive a car that gets me where I need to go. If you like cars, then fine, get yourself a nice car. But I don't feel the need to spend beyond my means. You know what? It's funny you bring that up. I did not grow up with money either. My parents had six kids, two out of six were special needs, thousand square foot home, was Detroit, later called Redford. After the riots, they changed their name. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same as you. I really don't care what people think. And I honestly think that it's possible, my opinion, small opinion here, but that we have an easier time maybe saving money because we don't need a whole lot Mm -hmm. because we grew up with not a lot. Right. And so we don't have anyone to keep up with. We never had it. And now that we have it, we're like, well, okay, it's nice to have. I have so much more than I thought I would ever have. Me too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, what what more do I need? (laughs) This is good, though, because people listening, the show is I'm trying to bring in the book I wrote, it's really for people that want to learn about money and life. And I want to share all the things that maybe your parents don't know better to teach you. Mm -hmm. So your parents didn't know better. So how did you end up your journey, like you go through high school, you went to college. How did you get to college if your parents didn't go to college? How did you get that in your mind? So uh, a couple of things. One, my dad didn't give me an option. Well, he did give me an option, but the options were two bad options in college. So uh, it was, look, I'm raising you till you're 18. That's my job. And when you're 18, you can choose to do one of three things. You can go to college, in which case you can stay here until you finish college. You can join the military. He was Navy. I have two uncles who are Marines. My grandfather was in the Army. Great. You can join the military if that's what you want to do. Or if you think that you're just going to graduate high school and then go get a job, you can go out and get an apartment and try to live on whatever wage you think you're going to make at a job directly out of high school. The last two options did not sound great to me. No. No. (laughs) No. And I did well at school. I enjoyed school. So I was like, I get to go to school for longer. I mean, I have to pay for it, but that's cool. You know, it's nice. You enjoyed school. Yeah. That's a lot of it where I think some of the hang up here, I'm just thinking out loud. Some people do not like school. I think part that of it makes is, it rough. It, part of it is it's hard to see the value in it for some people. I remember you talked about a story with your dad. I never wanted to be a lawyer. I was just sitting on the couch watching L.A. Law, which Jimmy Smith was in and he was cute. I just wanted to watch L.A. Law. And my dad was sitting on the couch with me and like he kept like nudging me. See, you like to argue. You like to argue like that. You should be a lawyer. You should be a lawyer. You should be a lawyer. I'm like, I don't like to argue. You just never make sense. And so I just need to explain to you how you're wrong. Um, so you're a teenager, right? I was a teenager. <laughs> so, you know, years and years later, what happens? I become a lawyer. So sometimes, you know, maybe your relatives are right when they see something in you. I really don't like to argue, though. And the reason I didn't want to be a lawyer is because all I saw on TV, I had no real experience with lawyers. My parents cleaned hotel rooms and did odd jobs. My only experience was television. And television is all about drama. So you have to have courtroom stuff. Most lawyers, even courtroom lawyers, spend most of their time sitting in front of a computer researching or writing letters or writing memos. So I didn't have that experience. So I was like, no, I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to fight with people. It sounds horrible. Who wants to just fight with people all day? No, you're just a teenager (laughs) giving your dad crap. Right. My dad doesn't know what he's talking about. He was never a teenager. (laughs) 
<laughs> and you and you did mention you had a lot of your mom or your dad had a lot of siblings. My and so mom. you had a lot of aunts and uncles and some support there, right? Yeah. So my mom has, uh, well, she had 11 siblings, but one passed away before she was born. So really, she had 10 siblings that she grew up with. And then my dad only had a few siblings, but I'm related to anybody in the state of Michigan with my last name. <laughs> and yes. most of them live in Sheboygan. So everybody is my cousin. Yeah. So I joke, I told you before I was married a couple of times, but my first one was right out of high school, beginning of college, because that's encouraged in rural small areas. And um, Hmm. I joke that I uh, looked around and married the one guy I wasn't related to. And then I realized I could just move out of town. But talk about him, because he sounded to be an encouraging boyfriend. He was. He was a good guy. And he encouraged me. He went to Michigan State the year before me. So he encouraged me to come down and check out the campus, which I absolutely loved because it's a lot like a rural northern Michigan area. Lots of trees, beautiful river, great ice cream, Um, Hmm. lovely place. So he, you know, encouraged me to do that encouraged me to do a lot of things. It was really a good person. Uh, it's just that his mother said, don't get married until you're 26. And we were like, but we're mature 21-year-olds. <laughs> sure. And still 21-year-olds who are mature are 21-year-olds. And as my niece is fond of saying, their prefrontal cortex is not fully developed yet. No, it's <laughs> true. That's a true statement. So jokingly, I say that, but I am related to a lot of people. So I had a lot of cousins on my dad's side who babysat us and a lot of my grandparents and aunts and uncles and stuff on the other side. Give me a picture. Successful people or working oh, no. class people? <laughs> no. Yeah. For the most part, working class people. Well, my one aunt went to college, but she wasn't in town. She was, you know, years away. But she did come to my high school graduation and suggest that I should be an accountant because people were looking for accountants and teaching was probably not a good idea. Um she turns out she was right. So your eye was on being a teacher. Yeah, I was, okay. you know, I wanted to be a teacher. Then I got to college and I was like, oh, I want to be a foreign services officer or you know, I want to live in Europe. I want to travel the world. So I majored in international studies where you choose your own cognate. So it was political science, English, French and economics. Then I got most of the way through that and thought, okay, I have to go to school on the Eastern Seaboard for a master's program to really get anywhere with that. My brother and sister-in-law weren't married yet. My sister was still in high school. And I was like, I could never afford to come back. Like, what am I really doing here? <laughs> and so I decided to change my major. And I was like, I always wanted to be a teacher. I used to teach to my little sister. She's seven years younger than me. So she was my, like, teaching school to your dolls. I did it to my little sister. Aww. So I was like, all right, I'll be a high school teacher. So went through that experience and listened to the wrong people, (laughs) had them give me advice, but they weren't the right people to give me advice. So let's say make sure the people you are listening to actually know what they're talking about. So who were those people? Honestly, and not to throw them under the bus, but who were the people you listened to that really didn't have the knowledge? So they were mostly uh, (laughs) other students who were, you know, they'd heard from someone that they've heard, you know, like the telephone game, right? Mm -hmm. So I had gotten my degree from MSU. And then I went to Central for my teaching certificate. And instead of getting a master's degree, because everybody had said, don't get a master's, nobody will want to hire you. I just took for a two-year degree granting program, which meant nothing but unsubsidized loans. No scholarships, no subsidized student loans, nothing. And then when I got through the end of the program during the student teaching, a school superintendent who actually did hiring <laughs> was like, 
Uh, maybe if they were the same, but I've never seen a bachelor student who knows as much as a master student. I'd hire the master student every time because they it's know a job, more. Because it's a job posting. And so if you have someone applying for that and you happen to have a master's and you're willing to get paid the same as the other, they're going to choose the one. Well, and they would even pay more, but they're like, I'm going to get more even though I'm paying more uh-huh, uh-huh. out of somebody who has a master's degree than somebody who just got out of a bachelor's program with a teaching certificate. So everybody tells you, everybody being other students and professors who are professors but haven't actually taught, or if they have in the secondary or elementary school role, or if they have, it's been years. So you listen to them thinking that they're the right person. But then when you hear the person doing the hiring after the fact when it's too late, tell you, oh, well, I would have hired a master's student immediately. And then when I started interviewing for teaching jobs, I had people say, if you had a master's in reading, I'd hire you right now on the spot. Like, so, I need somebody who has a master's in reading. So what's the lesson here is go to people that are actually the hiring or go to somebody that has yeah. that job. Don't listen to your mom's cousin's boyfriend because they think they know what they're talking about. Like, find the actual person. If it's the person who's going to hire you in that role, that's probably a person you should listen to. Professionals rather than If it's somebody else who's also 20 years old, just like you, and is in the same program, but, you know, while my aunt told me that no one will hire you, then is her aunt doing any hiring? Or is that just something she heard? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point, though. I mean, honestly, and we all do that. And the other thing I forgot to ask you is, you grew up with no money, your parents didn't have money, so how did you get through MSU with your degree (laughs) if you had no money? What did you do? Uh, Well, my first year I worked and I took $690 in student loans, but I was sick all the time. So after that, I maxed out my student loans and I just maxed my credit hours, like 15 to 18 credit hours a semester. I still changed my major, so it still took me four and a half years to graduate. And I part of that's taking my student loans was to study abroad because I think that there is some value in getting a wider perspective than what you're used to, you know. And coming from farmland in a very small, I graduated with 147 people in my graduating class, exposure to other things is useful. Well, that's one of the first things you mentioned here is that you wanted to do international. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you got wiser as you went through school and realized no, I don't want to move away to do this international, but at least you went away and experienced it and it was worth the money to you. There's nothing wrong with that, I don't think. But it helps our listeners, people that are poor and don't have money, it helps them realize they could manage to get training or go to college, even if they don't have money. And I worked full-time while I went to school full-time. That won't work for everybody. And I don't think it would work nowadays. School's gone up so much in cost that I don't think I would have managed that. Well, the interest rate on the debt, like I'm locked in at 3.75%. So it's like, even though I pay a little bit over my minimum, but I'm like, that's not the top of my list to pay off because it's not 8%, you know, and that's a lot of money at 8% to be taking out student debt on. So you try to do what works best for you. For instance, I... I think I told you I had a friend that she had a job that paid almost more than two times more than what mm-hmm. I got paid. So I was working a bunch of jobs at minimum wage and I wasn't clever enough to maybe look for something that would pay me more. Mm-hmm. Um, although I admit the biggest paying job I had during college is I was a clown 
That's and back awesome. then, um, I think minimum wage was, you know, four yeah. bucks an okay, hour. Back in the day, that would have been what we call an influencer. Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, so I was, I was, a, I was Bingo the Clown at a restaurant, and they paid me for parties and such, 10 bucks an hour, which is three times what I, yeah. almost three times more what I'd get paid. But the truth is, you were trying to do what would work for you, and you're thinking, okay, I got sick as a dog mm-hmm. my first year trying to do everything. So you went on to the getting student loans. You took the credit hours and you just concentrated on school, but that worked for you. And I want you to share why that worked for you is you also got scholarships, you said. Oh, yeah. So in undergrad, one of the things that helped me in my first year was a Pell Grant, uh, which is for poor students. But it's fantastic because you don't have the extra money to buy books or anything. So big fan of Pell Grants. I did get a lot of scholarships you know, out of high school. And then when I went to law school, I did really well my first year. So got a lot of scholarships and stuff through that. Um, took out a lot of debt. I think the biggest mistake, though, was that two years listening to someone else, somebody who was not an expert, mm-hmm. because I would have gotten scholarships and subsidized student loans for that two year, and I'd have a master's degree to show for it. Instead of just a certificate. Exactly. Could, have, could you have done those simultaneously? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would have had a master's a degree with a student teaching certificate. Maybe it would have taken me an extra semester. And you just simply didn't know better. Didn't know better. And I thought I was listening to the right people. I don't know why, because they were like the people next to me. They weren't the people above me. They were. But, we, but, we, but you know what? We all do that. We all do that. You listen to the wrong person. You find out later. And maybe tell people to do a little bit more research. Yes. Again, I said this before. LinkedIn is fantastic because we now have a way where you can just basically Google stock people. And uh, figure out what their qualifications are, because that's assuming that they're not lying on their their LinkedIn page. But, you know, you can see, do they have the experience? Were they in hiring? Are they an HR person? Or are they just somebody who is kind of tangential? It's even things like, okay, so I'm a lawyer. I'm not a divorce lawyer. If you ask me anything about divorce or child custody, my answer would be call my ex-husband because I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But you will have people who will say, oh, I'm using my cousin to buy this commercial property uh, on Woodward, yeah. and it's like, what does your cousin do? Oh, well, they do family law. Well, I wouldn't recommend that because I wouldn't know how far away you can move without getting the judge to approve it if you have children, because I don't practice that area. <laughs> well, that's like needing foot surgery, and then you go to the eye doctor. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Mean, like, so, Doc, what do you think about my foot? And they're like, I don't know, but you can see just fine. Um, <laughs> that's actually something I mentioned in my book is whatever career you pick, um, I could say construction. I mean, you could work on houses, you could redo houses, you could be in sales, you could be in a big construction company, law, same thing. You could be doing math and be a tax attorney, divorce attorney, estate planning attorney. You know, attorneys are advocates for the mm-hmm. most part. So there's always something that you love to do. There's many industries and careers that will fit almost any personality. Uh, like lawyers, my sister's a lawyer. She likes mm-hmm. the research and the background. She's yep. introverted, so she'd prefer not to have to deal with people. Guess what? That worked for her. Yeah. And I mean, if you love math and science and you still want to be a lawyer, there's patent law. There's a whole different bar exam for that. Is there? <laughs> yeah, because you have that. to have an engineering background because you're writing patents for, yes. you know, seating for cars or whatever. So I don't suggest this, but <laughs> you rode through school on student loans. Yes. Um, well, it was, like I said, easier than back then. Did you get a job right out of college and then yep. go to law school? Or did you say, oh, I want to be a lawyer? Oh, no. So I taught. I got a job. I moved down here to the, the metro Detroit area because this is where the most schools were. Mm-hmm. And crashed at a friend from 
undergrad, uh, he was like, yeah, you can stay. And I met who is now my best friend and my now ex-husband, um, <laughs> two separate people. Uh, and they were both in law school and I was teaching. I'd gotten a teaching job at a Catholic school and um, was not paid very well. And the problem with teaching is that you have to continue to keep going to school to keep your certification up, which you have to pay for. You have to go to the class. You have to do the homework. Yet you still have to correct your 150 sophomores essays. <laughs> and you're not paid very much. So could you manage a budget of living on that salary plus paying student loans? Oh, no, no. no. I was everybody got deferrals. I had a friend who was a history teacher at the same school. She would register for classes so she could get a deferral on her student loans and then drop the classes because she couldn't do them. But then she could get the deferral on her student loans. Oh, geez. Um, she's still a teacher, but in California. I know a dentist that worked in a impoverished area. And if she agreed to work there for a number of years, let's just say four or five years, they would pay off her student loans. Yeah. So um, so that's an avenue for some people that graduate with a lot yep. of debt. I know social work teachers. Social work teaching in certain areas. Um, medical. medical doctors in rural areas because they can't keep them. So um, here you graduate, work four and a half years, working on your degree four and a half years, get a job. You're living with how many roommates? Three. Three roommates. And in Birmingham. So it wasn't like the best place to move. It wasn't like I was like, oh, let's just find the most economical place yeah, to live. Yeah, that was expensive probably. Uh, yeah. But you didn't know better because you didn't grow up down here. So what made you say, okay, I'm not making enough money. I need to do something else. What were you, what were you going through? So I was stressed out all the time about the constantly correcting papers and not having time and how am I going to take classes and do all of this. And my students going, hey, we just turned in our papers yesterday. Did you correct them all yet? <laughs> Right, because they want answers. And, um, and because you taught English, it's not yes or no. It's right. I would write essays on their essays to help them become better their writing, right? And, you know, I think this is the other thing that people should think about when they think about a career is what's it really going to be like? Because I thought, I love English. I love reading. Mm -hmm. And then I found out that the reading was going to be the Great Gatsby over and over and over again for 20 years. I was not going to read anything new because I was going to be teaching new sophomores the same book every year. So it was going to be like Groundhog Day. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, so it's not like I'm getting to read the new beach fiction that came out. I'm rereading the, the Great same Gatsby. thing over and over. <laughs> yeah. Groundhog Day. And, yeah. you know, it's funny. I um I think back and I'm trying to think what I thought in my 20s and I was determined on a certain career and um, actually thought I was going to be an FBI profiler because my first degree was psychology and criminal justice and then mm -hmm. I was getting my master's and it all looks really cool on TV and then I yep. had an assignment and it was disturbing and I just got married. I came home and I said, I'm out. It was very disturbing and my husband always tells a story that someone called our house, because back then you were listed in the, uh, in the, in phone, the book. phone book. Yeah. And she said to my husband, you know, my boyfriend's getting out of jail. He's coming after me. I need to find somewhere to go. And my husband was like, she's at school right now, because I was getting my master's at the time. And I got home, found her a shelter, took care of it. But we both kind of sat down together. And, and this is something, again, to think about is, mm -hmm. you know, what kind of life are we going to have right what's it going to what's it going to what's the really experience like? going to be or do you want to live in a particular area like my sister and sister-in-law are both social workers they wanted to stay in northern michigan and they're like what are our options what's here what's going to fit yeah social work teaching not a lot of other 
you know, my dad wanted me to go back home. And he's like, you should come back home and hang out your shingle. I'm like, dad, I don't want to do divorces. And I don't want to represent your drunk friends when they drive drunk. Like, <laughs> and my advice to them would be stop drinking and driving. <laughs> but that's the kind of business you would have gotten. Exactly. There, right. Like, there's not a lot of like, you know, major banking happening up there or commercial development or anything like that. Lifestyle is one thing to think about. And it's not always about money. No, it really isn't. But you want to be near your families. Yeah. Yeah. So you had two roommates that happened to be studying law. So that might have been influential. Oh, absolutely. So they were both like, you should do this. You know, you're better than us at it, which I don't think is true. But that was their their storyline. They just thought you would be good at it. Yeah. For what reason? Uh, I don't even remember. I think maybe they were telling me about cases and I was asking questions Uh that, you know, the professors would have been asking just, you know, analytical. Curious and curious. Um, So I took the LSAT and I was like, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Who says that? uh, (laughs) Who says, oh, that was fun. Particularly, there's a section on it called the games, which is analytical reasoning. But it's like, Bobby can't sit next to Sue. Sue can't sit next to Jerry. These five people are going to the movies. Who has to sit next to who? Oh, my goodness. That kind of thing. And so it's just really, it's a puzzle. The other thing I know about you only because I know you is uh, you do some business law and you know a lot about math. We talked about this. You said you didn't like math, but Mm -hmm. the truth is you're very good at it. And a lot of lawyers I meet, I love lawyers as clients because they're very smart people, but they usually hate math. We're and, afraid and, of math. Mm-hmm. And you um, <laughs> you kind of got both sides of the brain going, which is neat. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. So, well, you know, what happened is I had a horrible math teacher in middle school. So then I kind of became stigmatized that I'm horrible at math when it was really just a, we didn't mesh. Just a bad situation. But then I took like all this theoretical math, too, and I didn't take the science that went with it. So it made no sense to me because it's like, well, if you're not taking physics or chemistry and you're taking algebra two and trig, what's the point of it? Right. Mm -hmm. But there's also sort of a little there's that it's scary. But when I look at algebra, like basic algebra is just a language like, you know, I love languages. It's it's French. Mm -hmm. It's German. It's just another language. And it gets you to communicate okay, well, this is what we're solving for X for, and now there's our number. Um, so when I started looking at it in a different different way, context, you yeah. know, like, okay, it's just a language, and I need to learn that language, it got easier. But yes, most of us are terrified of math, and we say if we were good at math, we would have gone to med school. In me, the same story, but honestly, we could have saved a lot of money and trouble if we would have spent the time maybe asking, going on LinkedIn, if your parents mm-hmm. aren't college-bound and they don't have the type of career that you wish you had, then you could look on LinkedIn and look at all the different careers that you're interested in. And and you and I talked about this. We have constantly parents or students asking us, could we ask you about your job and what you do? Mm-hmm. So high school students, even middle school, there's nothing wrong with looking around and asking people, so what do you do all day? And yep. what's it entail? What are your and what's it really like? like? Yeah, because you're going to find out what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy. So, okay, here's the, I'm always about the money, but you get into law school, how the heck did you pay for that? <laughs> student loans. You student went back loans. to student loans. Scholarships and student loans. Okay. So law school is three years. That's um, scary to me, just yeah. for the record. And lots of people don't, like there. Are, Wayne State has a night program, so there are people who can work during the day and go to school at night. Mm-hmm. And I have known people who have children and work during the day and go to school at night. I don't know how they do it. That's crazy. That's, yeah. And, you know, they make it through. And who cares what their grades are because they made it through. And that's a lot. Grades, however, are extremely important if you want to make the big bucks because mm-hmm. the, the top law firms hire from the top 
they look class, at your grade point grade average. Point. Yeah. And the problem with law school is you don't know how well you did until you're almost done with your first year because your first exams are in December and you might not get your grades back until January or February. Oh, my goodness. So, so what are they basing their hiring on? Uh, Previous nobody grades. gets hired from their first year. So basically you do on-campus interviews at the beginning of your second year and then they have your transcripts from your first I gotcha. year. So I did well enough my first year that I got a bunch of scholarships um, for one of them was from the State Bar Negligence Council. I have no interest in law. Negligence is like car accidents, tort oh. law. No interest in that whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I did really well in my, my torts class. So got a scholarship for that. Tell people what torts is. So there's contract. That's you breach a contract. Mm-hmm. Torts is anything where you owe duty to someone and you breach that duty and they get injured by that. So oh. a tort is anything where like I slip and fall in your lobby, which you're not responsible for because you're in a the landlord's responsible for it here. Right. The landlord left water around. So I sue the landlord because they had a duty to clean up that water yes. and they didn't. They were negligent. And I broke my leg. So that's my damage. OK. So I'm going to sue them. Their insurance company is going to come in and cover that cost. Um, insurance is a whole nother thing. No, <laughs> I'm that, a big fan of insurance, but I don't do insurance law. <laughs> but, but the point is, there's all these different avenues you could do with a law degree. Yep. Same with a business degree and other degrees. Even with construction, plumbing, electrician, there's many avenues there too. And there are a bunch of law and other things that we don't even know that don't exist yet. You know, you've got like chat GPT, like envi- yeah, environmentals come out. All of the software stuff that wasn't a thing when we were growing up because computers were brand new, right? Privacy, data security, all of that. Mm-hmm. Like there's specific data security lawyers. There's so much in that area wow. that all they do is data security. So that might be someone that loves computers and also right. law. So here you graduate from law school. How did you do in your bills after that? So I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and I stalked. Uh, which I highly encourage doing appropriately. (laughs) I professionally stalked a Michigan Supreme Court justice who was a big Wayne State. She went to Wayne State. Tell us about that. So uh, when I was in law school, I went to a couple of things that she was at. She was phenomenal. Absolutely loved her. She actually started in family law and then ended up on the court of uh, appeals and then became a Michigan Supreme Court justice. So I followed her around. And every time there was anything at the university, at the law school where she was going to be there, I made sure I was there and I came up to her and talked to her at the end. Like networking events, yeah. lectures, lectures, like that. yeah. Okay. Anything where, you know, they, they would do all kinds of stuff. And you just kept just running like into her. You just kept bumping into her and she's like, oh, Lisa, you're always at everything at the <laughs> university. I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Everything that you are at, I am at. You were very intentional. I was very intentional, <laughs> but not creepy. Like, I'm not going to, like, I don't know where she grocery shopped or anything. No, like no, that. no. Yeah, let, it was always know. in a professional context. Yes, yes, yes. But I highly recommend doing that. Reaching out on LinkedIn, knowing if somebody says that they're going to go to X conference, like, there's a conference at the Suburban Showplace tomorrow. It's for the International Council of Shopping Centers. If there's oh. anybody who I think I want to know who is in that, that in that area, then I will intentionally go with the thought that I'm going to go pay for my ticket. And these are the people I'm going to go hunt down while I'm there. You know what? <laughs> I'm going to second that. I've done the same thing. There's certain owners of companies that I wanted to get mm-hmm. to know better. And did the same thing. Every time they were at an event, I made sure I went to that event. Exactly. I made sure I ran into them. I chatted it up with them. And both ended up clients of mine thinking it was serendipity and it was not. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you just do it smoothly. And it's like, oh, wow, you're always here. You're very active in the community. Yes, absolutely. I am. That is what's going on. That's all you need to know. 
That's awesome. Yeah. So that's what I did. And I got an internship with her. And then I did very well at my internship. Um, so I actually was one of the few interns that she hired on. She'd hired a couple before. And then I still didn't know after the year-long internship or the year-long clerkship. Clerkships are paid for. <laughs> Internships are not. Like, so, I got paid for my clerkship. But you had to pay. Had to, to pay for the internship. internship. That's a college credit thing. Wow. Um, but the clerkship is post-grad. They pay you. Now, it's a state job, so it's not paying you like a giant law firm, but it's prestigious. So hers were always a one year, but she asked me to stay on a second year. And I still didn't know what I wanted to do because I didn't really want to be a lawyer. I thought I wanted to be a law professor. And I was like, well, I'll go to law school. Okay, I'll be a professor. Then I sat in. Well, that's the teaching in the back of your mind. Yeah, because I was like, I love teaching. So I'm going to teach. And then I sat in on committee meetings with law school professors and they were obnoxious. And (laughs) I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to move all over the country and like live one place for three years and then another place for three years. Because as a professor, one, you have to do research and publish. And two, you go wherever the job is. And then you just kind of keep trying to move up the ranks, you know, from law school no one's ever heard of to slightly better to Wayne State, you know. And I didn't really want to be a nomad. And mainly I was just like, I can't, you guys are arguing about the stupidest things. I can't even. Was so, it, it wasn't your jam. It was not my jam. So my second year of clerkship, I was still like, I don't know what I want to do. One of the prior clerks that did the same thing and turned for the justice and then worked for her was at the firm I eventually went to. And I was trying to get into one group in the firm and she was like, you don't, you don't want to work for that person. Oh, really? But you like tax, right? I'm like, I love tax because tax is all code based. You just tell you what the tax code is. It's like a choose your own adventure. You then have to go to 16 different places in the code and you have to interpret it. But there's words that tell you where to go. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, I like tax. She's like, okay, well, we need a tax attorney. So I started there in their tax group. And I joke that straight up formal, like all tax was like sticking forks in your eyes. Boring. And it kind (laughs) of was. But also... The guy that hired me left. And so he actually had a large book of business and took it. So he didn't have any work to do. So I went from, I did do a lot of work with nonprofits there, but all the other tax that I had started to learn, I didn't really have like nine months of experience when he left. So I started, my friend who I told you is my, I do whatever she tells me to do is my, uh, my life mission. So my best friend, whenever she tells me to do something, I do it. And she said, tax credits, brownfield tax credits, and other tax credits, it's where it's at. So I started doing brownfield tax credits. So brownfields are the opposite of a greenfield, right? A greenfield is new green property that you're going to go build a big box store on. A brownfield might be an old factory in Detroit that we want to redevelop, but there might be dirty property underneath. So it's more expensive to develop. So the state used to provide a tax credit. Now there's a grant program. For historic buildings, for redeveloping brownfield sites, um, there's still tax increment finance, things like that. So I started doing that. And that was in the real estate group at the firm. So I started as a tax person that went into real estate. and They go together slightly. Yeah. And my boss said to me, the real estate guy said, we're going to turn you into a dirt lawyer. Because oh. <laughs> I was like, I'm not really a real estate lawyer. I'm a tax lawyer. Uh, and he's like, we're going to turn you into a dirt lawyer. So I am a dirt lawyer. Um, but I know enough about tax to do the tax incentive stuff and also to tell people whether it's about real estate or other stuff, you might have a tax issue with the way you're trying to structure this. So we need to get your CPA involved. <laughs> so that's how you end up in real estate. And you, I, I noticed like when we refer people to you that you know a lot about 
where empowerment zones and credits and, mm-hmm. you know, someone wants to build or expand their business, you kind of can help them. Yeah. Get there. I help find money. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of my clients are developers. So they're like, okay, we want to do this development, but we can't make it pencil out money wise because I could go build luxury condos in Birmingham and sell those all day and make a ton of money because they're luxury condos, right? If you're trying to build affordable housing, you can only charge X dollars or else it's no longer affordable, but you still need to get paid and you need to pay your GC and your architect and all these other people. So where do you find the financing to make it all happen? So there's traditional bank lending, but then there are all these other programs that... Well, what's nice too is you use, I'm just looking back, big picture, you like teaching and Mm -hmm. you do teach your clients when you help them. You don't mind the math as much as said you hated it. You ended up, oh, this isn't so bad. It's fun. You're an advocate. You're helping people. You took your experiences from the past though, and that's what made you, you might have to remind me, but you had economics, French, Mm -hmm. English, one more. Political science. And political science. And think about it. I mean, you were in all of those, and all mm-hmm. of those play a part now. The other thing worth mentioning, because I have the same thing, and you and I talk to each other about this, is we have, I call it my peeps. But when I have decisions to make about business, I don't feel I'm smart enough to do that on my own. So I call on my friends the board of who directors. are all smart. What do you call them? <laughs> the board of directors. The board of directors. <laughs> and I you know, check with all my friends or business friends, people they are all smarter than me at whatever they do. And between all of us, we come up with enough questions and inquiries that we can help each other figure things out. So Mm -hmm. as much as we discouraged asking other students about your college career, we're saying ask professionals, but in your professional life, I'm going to say both of us are business owners and we still call upon others to help us. And even if you're working for a company, it's good to have some peeps and other people in other industries to ask opinions, right? Yeah. Well, and sometimes the opinion is, should I leave? what I'm doing and start my own firm or, you know, should I, you know, they're not necessarily things that you want to ask your current employer about because it may involve you leaving that employer. That's true. And then you ended up, I forgot about that. You ended up, something happened because now you have your own law firm. Mm -hmm. So what happened there? So uh, in 2016, my firm and I parted ways and I had met a woman who already had her own law firm. And frankly, I never would have thought about going by myself. She was like kind of held my hand while I jumped off the cliff. Yes. (laughs) Um, Let's go together. Yeah. So we uh, were kind of together for a year, but not really. We never really like melded everything together. And then so we decided, you know, let's just kind of go our separate ways, which was very easy because there was nothing intertwined. So I named the firm Lynchpin Legal after that because the Lynchpin holds an axle in a wheel together, but it's not the point of the whole assembly. You bring them both together. (laughs) Bring it together together. Small part of a big whole. It's essential and critical. You should have legal advice and you should have a CPA and an insurance person. You should have all of those people, but none of them should drive the deal. If you want something to happen, we just need to figure out how we can legally make that happen. (laughs) I like that. You're still the center, though, the center of it all. Yeah. And this is the other thing, and I mentioned this to you before, and I think you, you get this about me. There are people that you want to work with and there are people you don't. And some people want to work with somebody who seems like they know everything. And I like I was literally told in training at my big firm, like, you never say I don't know, which is absolutely not how I roll. And, you know, it's like you you need to always have the answers. 
Uh, no, I don't. And I, agree with you. I can say I don't know, but I will look that up and I That's will get back I to you. Say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no reason for me to make up an answer on the spot, whether it's right or wrong. There's no reason for me to be condescending and use a bunch of words that you don't understand because I want to make sure you realize that I'm super smart. You know, I'm smart. I feel like this is the same people with people saying, I'm so smart. I'm so smart. Every five minutes, they're saying, I'm so smart that or whatever, question they, them. whatever word they use. I'm so pretty. Whatever it is, like you can tell that that's the one thing that they're not confident about. Right. Because they have to keep saying it to themselves and to everyone else. Like, no, you'll hear me talk and you'll know whether I'm smart or not. I don't need to use big words. I can explain things to you in a way that you understand. And so, you know, going forward and then you'll be like, OK, well. I got this one or, hey, you know what? I'm going to have to call my lawyer about that. But I don't need you to call me every time and like keep you beholden to me by hiding information. <laughs> well, you're not into the power. You're advocating for people. Exactly. You're, and I'm the same way. I'm out to help people. You don't want to ever embarrass anyone. There's always going to be someone smarter than you mm-hmm. in a topic. So, And I've always, the people that are your bullies or that are condescending, I think it's their own what did we say? Self-esteem. Mm-hmm. It's their yeah. own self-esteem that's suffering because they want to one-up you. And if you're there just to help, why bother with that? Right. What I like about you being on this today, I love that you grew up poor. If you don't mind me saying that, I love that you grew up with no money. Neither did I. We had no connections, really. We didn't know anybody. Uh, we did not have the advantages of growing up in a nicer area because you grew up in a nicer area because now my kids have. They have a little bit of an advantage. Right, because your next door neighbor kid that you grow up with is somebody of importance, not just the farm kid. <laughs> but I don't want to knock farm people. But No, I, but, but they're not necessarily the connections. That you wish to attain, maybe. Right. Yeah. So I guess my point today, the reason I wanted you to share your story is you did this because you worked hard, but you were smart. But you weren't perfect about it, and that's okay. No. <laughs> you managed. Well, right? and, you know, we talked about the whole debt and how did I start the law firm by put money on credit cards. But for a lawyer, that's not very much money because I just need a laptop and a phone. Um, I know, but that is funny. We didn't have that recorded yet. But when I said, well, how the heck did you start your law firm when you had no money? And you're like, credit, credit cards. Credit cards. <laughs> credit cards. And I'm like, oh, my yeah. gosh. But it was a small amount of credit cards. Okay. They've been paid off, paid off since then. But, you know, it takes a while to develop a clientele from nothing. So your first year or two, it's not like you're just going to walk out and be like, all of a sudden I have a full book of business and, you know, I'm rolling in it. You've got to, like, spend some time pounding the pavement, going and going to every chamber of commerce meeting and, you know, whatever's in your industry. I will say there are a couple of things that I will say are important other than, like, don't use your credit cards if you don't have to, is... We were talking about uh, something earlier. And so I had a friend. So I was divorced a second time. My ex were friends. He's a feelings attorney. He deals with divorce and (laughs) child custody and stuff. I don't deal with feelings. But when we separated, we had a house and we were trying to sell it. And so we had to get rid of the second mortgage on it so that we could short sell it. So I borrowed money from my friend. And I had credit card debt at the time, not anything huge, but I was like, I don't care if she's not charging me interest and this credit card is charging me a bunch of interest. I'm paying off my friend first because I don't want that to get in the way of our friendship. Yes. And so 
there's something to be said for the fact that there's the money. Like we can always look at it and say, this is the logical decision to make. But then there's the emotional attachment. And so there are a few attachments with that, right? And all of my actions and inactions that I'm mad about and I regret <laughs> are based in fear. Oh. My fear of not being secure because of, you know, growing up in poverty, always worried about a roof over my head mm-hmm. and being able to afford food. You still worry about that? Oh, yeah. So I got the oh. job where I made enough money to not ever have to worry about that. Was terrified to start my own firm because then I'd have to worry about it again because that's oh, yeah. not a W-2. Like, it's all about me bringing in the money and me collecting the money and all of that. Um, I actually was accepted into the Peace Corps. Did an interview in Chicago. Wow. Still know the date that my flight was going to leave, August 26th. It was going to go to West Africa and the Asian Pacific. And I did not get on that flight. My excuse to myself was I had $1,500 in credit card debt. But what was the real reason? Fear. That's interesting. Because I could have borrowed $1,500. I mean, it was like $10 from each of my aunts and uncles. I have like a, a ton of them. <laughs> It was just not having enough money. It was not having enough money. Well, it was like, that's terrifying to get on a plane and just fly to a foreign country and live there for a couple of years. And who's going to pay for my credit card while I'm gone? Like, okay, well, that could have happened. I hear you. Well, the other thing about it was you had to pay in advance for a physical and a dental check. And then you would get reimbursed. And I was like, I can't afford that. Hmm. Yet you started a company. Right. Now, this was before I went to Central and got my teaching certificate. I guess but my point still, is you you changed a little bit or you realized the risk maybe? No, no, I'm still terrified on a daily basis. Really? Okay. Still terrified. And I still do things about money that are based in fear that aren't necessarily the best choice. So for me, that's spending money when I should, because I feel like I need to hoard money. And so there are times when I'm like, do I hire a coach? I've hired a business coach in the past. It was great. Very useful. But coaches are not inexpensive. <laughs> so then it's like, oh, do I shell that out? What if no money comes in next month? <laughs> you know? I, I, yes. So there's always that pushing back. I think that fear helps me sometimes because I don't make stupid decisions where I'm like, I'm just going to go buy a whole office building. Yeah, she keeps, keeps your reins on there. But sometimes it's to my detriment because there's investment that I should make. Yeah, because I will I say don't. having a coach changed my whole life and my yeah. whole thinking about my business. So. That's a whole nother discussion, but yes, I agree with right. you. And we all do that. We make um, funny decisions about money based on how we grew up. Like that doesn't leave us as much as we think it might. Right. Everybody has some sort of relationship with money that is... In general, women worry about being bag ladies. Yeah. I'm like, I don't want to eat cat food. <laughs> women worry about that. I have clients that are millionaires that worry about that. Where men, it's other worries. Yeah. So it's very, very interesting. That is. It's uh, so fear. I would say that's my big thing is trying to fight the fear of something that was a childhood thing. And then the knowledge, I think it's really important to start as young as possible. So I've told you before, I've got my nieces like, you know, they've got E-Trade accounts so that they can understand. We just do like little chunks of stuff here and there. Like this is what a stock is and this is what the market is versus the value of a company and you know, those kinds of things so that they get more comfortable with controlling their money rather than having it control them. Yeah. And the last thing I'll bring up for both of us is since we both grew up with no money, I think we're easy. It's easier for us to save money now that we're making money 
because we're not used to spending our money in different ways, in ways that people that have money are used to maybe going to nicer restaurants, nicer clothes, shopping at Somerset, which is a nice mall near us. I mean, to this day, I still don't shop there. I find it, it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. I have the money and I still don't shop there because it's ingrained in my head. Right. It's a hoity-toity place to be, right? Yes. Well, yeah. So we've kind of... uh, I also have the benefit that I hate shopping. So... Me too. Me too. (laughs) So that is a benefit because I think a lot of people are taught that, oh, well, if you feel bad, just go buy yourself something. And I mean, I love to eat, but I don't go out to eat that often because it's like it's so much more inexpensive. And then I found things like seafood fettuccine Alfredo. That's like 10 minutes to make. And if you can afford the seafood ingredients, it's way cheaper to do at home. Awful so, to say, but I'm the same as you. Right. I always think, oh, I can make that. Right. I could just make If it I go out, I'll order something I can't make. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have like Chateaubriand or something because I'm not going to make that, you know. Uh, <laughs> but if it's something where I'm just like, that's it's going to be $25 a plate at home and it's literally going to cost me $3 to make. <laughs> so, so we're off on a tangent. But the point of this is, is that, you know, we're still how we grew up. Mm-hmm. But I'm still grateful you came because... There's a lot of people out there that are poor. They don't Mm -hmm. have money. You had the support from your parents and aunts and uncles, though. Support mentally, I'm going to say, not money-wise. But they wanted you to do better. And you and I will say to others, though, we want them to do better, too. We wouldn't be sitting here doing a podcast if we didn't want people to do better. Absolutely. And I would say, like, you know, we said Google stock people, look at LinkedIn. Reach out and ask those people Mm -hmm. to have coffee or to do a Zoom meeting or something and do it to the person that's sort of your knock it out of the park. Like, what are they going to do? Say no or not respond? That's right. <laughs> People will help you. So to the listeners, thanks for listening. Lisa, thank you for helping us today. Everybody should be helping each other and trying to make the world a little bit better. So that's why we do this. So thank you. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, You can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.